Well, here we are at the end of Epiphany. And the gospel of the transfiguration is before us. Jesus is preparing to turn toward Jerusalem. And the disciples are still a little slow on the uptake over who and what Jesus is all about. So Jesus takes yet another opportunity to try to teach them. He gives them another chance to figure out who he really is. He takes his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, up onto the mountain. There they encounter Moses and Elijah waiting for Jesus. The law, the prophets, the Messiah, all together for the first and maybe only time. Reminds me of those old concert posters. Today only. The law, the prophets, the Messiah. And as dense as the disciples were, true to form, we see blessed Peter's rashness. Hey, let's build some booths for you guys and stay here on the mountain. Finally, God has seen enough. From a cloud that obscures Moses and Elijah completely, God issues a short, sweet statement. So important to him that it comes almost in the form of a commandment, or in Hebrew, a mitzvah, which comes from the root word meaning connection. This is my son, the chosen, my beloved. Listen to him. When we follow God's direction and do listen to Christ, we make connections with God and with each other. And making these connections can help us learn that all those around us are beloved of God too. And that understanding produces compassion in ourselves for them. And through that compassion can come healing. There are several qualities that distinguish compassionate listeners. And listening must be a conscious activity. It is quite different from the physiological act of hearing. Good listeners are able to set aside their own distractions so that they can concentrate on what others are saying. They make an effort to follow what is being said rather than anticipating what the speaker is going to say. They observe carefully but are cautious about making hasty interpretations about what they are hearing. Good listeners accept and honor others just as they are. They are not judgmental in any way. Good listeners are willing to enter into an experience where they themselves might be changed by having to confront and accept their own limitations. Compassionate listeners engage in caring relationships not because others deserve it, but because they need it. By listening to others, we can help their suffering bear fruit 
we can help transform their suffering into the joy of knowing God more intimately. And there are many levels of listening. The first, and maybe the most important, is just silence. Where we demonstrate through body language, eye contact, physical touch, that we really are truly interested in the other. We also observe nonverbal cues from them that indicate their willingness to share. We invite them to say more. Finally, we go below the words expressed and listen for the underlying meaning. Most messages contain both facts and meanings. Facts describe what has happened to me. Meanings reveal how what has happened to me makes me feel. And by listening for the emotional content in the conversation, we are able to move from the superficial to the real problems and issues. And the willingness and ability to hear feelings does much to create an environment of trust and compassion. This compassionate listening is action that flows out of our relationship with God. It begins with a choice we make to listen to God. After all, what is our purpose in life? To be loved by God, to love God, and to love others. As Paul said, it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry. So why all this talk about listening? Why now? Because many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering right now, grieving right now. I'm thinking especially of our brothers and sisters in the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church voted this week to double down on its opposition to same-sex marriage and to reinforce its prohibition against gay clergy. This decision has been heartbreaking for many members of that church because it means that they or someone they know or love is no longer welcome as an equal. Some of these folks right here in Conway have already inquired about the Episcopal Church and its beliefs. Some of them are our friends and family members. We may see some of them coming through our doors in the coming weeks. Some of them may be here right now. If that's you, we're sorry you're hurting. We have been praying for you. Please know that we welcome you and we love you. It's our individual response to these brothers and sisters that I want to emphasize to you now. These folks may be grieving a kind of ambiguous loss, one which they cannot see or touch, one which they may not even understand or have begun to process. Our place is not to judge not to criticize, not to berate. 
Our place is also not to feel smug. Yes, we've been down this road before and for the most part have come out on the better side. But we're not nearly as perfect as we might be. And our place is certainly not to start recruiting either. The temptation is great to jump in with our own opinions and solutions. Kind of like Peter did with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And I caught myself doing this on Monday night this week after I'd been in Conway all day and I was on my way home. My mother, who has been a Methodist for 60 of her 80 years, called me, nearly in tears about what was about to happen to her church. I immediately chimed in, I know it, Mom, they have lost their minds. They just don't care. They've been overrun by some closed-minded, you fill in the blank, Our church doesn't even think about that stuff anymore. And after we hung up, it occurred to me that I had done exactly the wrong thing to my own mother. I hadn't let her just tell me her story. I had hastily piled on with my own learned and self-righteous opinions. And I felt pretty badly by the time I got home. So I called her back and let her talk some more. This time, I just listened. She finally got to the crux of her issue. She didn't think she could go back to a church who wouldn't support her own daughter. Yeah, that's my mom still teaching me lessons about listening and love 60 years on. In this trying time for our friends in the United Methodist Church, our task is to do what Christ would do, listen and love. And to do what we do best, welcome them, and embrace them for as long as they need it. They may or may not decide to join our church, and that's okay. Secretly, I kind of hope they don't. I feel a little bit like Bishop Gene Robinson, who said this week that they shouldn't leave the Methodist church, but to rather stay in there and fight for change, for inclusion, for acceptance. But we all know that change in the right direction takes a long, long time. Sadly, it doesn't take nearly as long to go backwards. They may have lost some faith in their church, but we can't let them lose faith in God and His love through the light of Christ. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, The first service we owe to others in the fellowship of caring consists of listening to them. 
Just as love for God begins with listening to God's word, so the beginning of love for people is learning to listen to them. So often Christians think that they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Let us remember this in the coming weeks and whenever visitors come among us. As today's colleague says, let them behold in us the light of Christ's countenance so that little by little we may all be changed. Amen.